Would you, would you now turn, please, to your Holy Bible, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, I'm starting a wonderful series on 1 Peter today. And uh, I myself have been enriched by preparing this specific message. And I trust it will enrich you and that this series from 1 Peter will be a blessing to you. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll just focus on the first couple of verses today where we read, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this part of the Bible that we call 1 Peter. And I pray, O oh Lord, that as we begin to, to discover the marvelous truths that you have embedded in this, in this part of your word, I pray that you will use this scriptural God to reach out and touch the hearts of our people here at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene and our radio listeners and internet listeners. May it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The message today I have entitled, Powerful Principles from Peter. Because as I, have, as I have read the scripture and thought about the truth that is surfacing, I thought, what powerful truths we, we, we discover from even these first couple of verses in the Bible. Um, sound operators, I'm just wondering if you can lower the monitors up here. I think this might be helpful. Thank you. The first truth that I want to direct your attention to that is a powerful principle from Peter is this. Number one. Why don't you read it with me from the big screen. You and I can put behind us our failures, mistakes, and sins and become the very best person we can be through the Lord's power. When, uh, when I read the very first part of verse 1, where it simply says, this letter is from Peter. This letter is from Peter. Just pause right there. The truth that you just see on the screen is the truth that started to come to my mind and just resonated in my mind. Uh, you and I can put behind us our failures, mistakes, uh, sins, and become the very best person we can be through the Lord's power. Stick with me, and you'll see why this is so. Some of you might be thinking, Pastor Nick, why do you say what you just said? Why is this the first principle and truth that you're communicating to us? Here's why. 
Peter had a variety of failures, mistakes, and sins in his life, like most of us. For instance, the Gospel of John, chapter 18, tells us of how Jesus was betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. John 18, verse 10 says, Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed, slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. The Bible then also tells us of how Jesus picked up Malchus's ear, reattached the ear to the man's head, and healed him in a miraculous way. Then in John chapter 13, verse 37, Peter, Peter said to Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. That's what Peter said to him. He said, Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. And then in the next verse, verse 38, Jesus answered, Die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And sure enough, the Gospel of John, chapter 18, if you were to read it, verses 12 through 27, tells us of how Peter denied knowing Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. Dr. W.A. Criswell, who used to be the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, for over 50 years, by the way, wrote a book on the epistles of Peter in which Dr. Criswell says some beautiful things. Dr. Criswell says this. He says, Peter was a strange mixture. Peter was a strange mixture of cowardice and courage, of rugged strength and instability. Think about that. Think about that. Peter was a strange mixture of cowardice and courage, of rugged strength and instability. How true that is. Such an excellent observation. When we read the Bible and read about Peter, we discover that his life had failures, fumbles, mistakes, whatever you want to call them, and sins. Nevertheless, when, when we come to this part of our Holy Bible that is known as the first letter of Peter, and then there is the second letter of Peter as well, we find a Peter who has put behind him. He has put behind him and has overcome failures, mistakes, the fumbles and sins, and he writes to the first century Christians, and he writes to you and me, incredible truth. Truth that God inspired to become a part of our Holy Bible. With the Lord's power and help, Peter has become the best person he could be. Now, if we had been able to, to talk with Peter, if we were able to talk with him, I'm sure that he would have been the first to say that he was not, he was not a super saint. But he had come a long way. He had come a long way. Uh, Dr. Criswell further beautifully says this. He says, a sculptor sees an angel in solid rock. 
before he chisels it out. An artist sees a beautiful painting before he puts it on canvas. An architect sees a magnificent building in his mind before he draws up the plans. Jesus is like that. He sees us at our best. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord sees us at our best. He is called Petros, Peter. He's called Petros, a rock. Jesus saw it in him. And Jesus, Jesus looks at us like that. He sees what we can be and with his grace will be. Amen? Amen? My friend, Peter reminds you that you can put behind your failures, mistakes, sins, and become the very best person you can be through the Lord's help and the Lord's power. Is there something that you need? Is there something, some failure, some mistake, some fumble, some sin from the past that you need to bury, you need to put behind you and move forward and say, Lord, help me to become all that you intend for me to be as a man, as a woman, as a young person, as a child. Amen? There's a second beautiful truth principle that came to my mind as I reflected upon these first couple of verses, and the second truth is this. Read it with me. You and I are messengers of Jesus Christ. In the first part of verse 1, we read, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. All right. What is an apostle? Dr. W.T. Perkheiser in the Beacon Bible Exposition on 1 Peter has a beautiful definition. He says an apostle is an ambassador, a messenger or envoy, one who officially represents the sender. Beautiful definition, very accurate. The word apostle is usually used in two ways in the New Testament, in the Bible. The word apostle identifies, for instance, identifies one of the original 12 men chosen by Jesus. And the apostle Paul, by the way, always included himself as well. One criterion to be uh, to be able to be called an apostle was to have seen the risen Lord Jesus. The term apostle in the Bible also applied to official messengers or spokesmen for the church. In, in this secondary sense, Barnabas, Silas, and Timothy, and others were also called apostles. You and I are obviously not apostles in the same sense in which some people were 
Some people were apostles in the first century. But when we understand that the essential meaning of apostle is an ambassador, a messenger, envoy, or one who officially represents the sender, then you and I, you and I need to see ourselves as what? Official messengers of Jesus Christ. Jesus' message when he walked this earth was what? It was a message, a message of love, compassion, and kindness, a message of encouragement, patience, and helpfulness, a message of generosity, forgiveness, and honesty, a message of gentleness and peace, and cooperation. Jesus' message was also, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He said, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Think about it. As Jesus' messengers, as his official representatives, are you and I carrying out Jesus' message? Next time you have a family get-together, remind yourself and say to yourself, I am a messenger of Jesus at this family gathering. Next time you go to a party, say to yourself, I'm a messenger of Jesus at this party or at this celebration. Next time you go to work, to school, to a grocery store, to the bank, on a vacation, say to yourself, what? I am a messenger on behalf of Jesus. A few months ago, a few months ago, one of our men, Brent, was in a hospital for major surgery. Brent, you're here somewhere. While visiting Brent in the hospital, <laughs> I very quickly discovered, to my joy, I very quickly discovered that he was, he was not there just as a patient. He was there as a messenger of Jesus to the doctors, the nurses, other patients, the cleaning staff, the people who brought him meals, whoever walked into his hospital room, I can tell you, Brent was the messenger of Jesus. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Peter reminds us that you and I are messengers of the Lord. The question is, what kind, what kind of a messenger are you? Am I? What kind?
Let me take you to a third powerful principle from Peter. And it is this. Read it with me from the big screen. You and I have been chosen by God. The second part of verse 1 and the first part of verse 2 says this. Here it is. We have it on the screen as well. Read it with me out loud, would you? I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. My friends, you and I have been chosen by God to be a part of God's family. The commentator in the Life Application Study Bible, New Living Translation that I often use, says this. He says, at one time, only the nation of Israel could claim to be God's chosen people. But through Christ, all believers, Jews and Gentiles, belong to God. That's you and me. Our salvation and security rest in God's merciful choice. Now, someone might ask, how, how did God choose us? Don't we, don't we make our own choices? And the answer is, God chooses us, and we have to choose him. For example, years ago, our youth minister, years ago, Pastor Lucas might have said to the special girl he was dating, he might have said, Maria, I choose you to be my wife. <laughs> He's getting blessed thinking about it. I choose you to be my wife. There was only a marriage, however, because Maria said, Lucas, I choose you to be my husband. Right? If, if she had said, if she had said, Lucas, you can choose me all you want, sweetheart, but I no choose you. They would not have the precious little baby girl they already have, and they would not have the precious little boy that they're expecting in January coming up. Amen? So, my friends, have you, have you chosen God? Have you chosen to become fully committed to God himself? When you choose to be totally committed to God, you are choosing to be totally committed to Jesus because God came to earth in the person of Jesus. Amen? Now some of you might be wondering why verse 1 says God's chosen people were living as foreigners in the provinces of 
Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Um, these were all areas ruled by the Roman Empire. And um, we have a map, and I'm not sure how well you can see it up there. All right. It, uh, it isn't the clearest, obviously, because of uh, so many words on there. But um, uh, at least if you can see Athens then there, you can see that across, across the uh, water there, um, we, have, we have all those other cities of uh, Troas and Pergamon, Smyrna and Ephesus, Magnesia, Miletus, Herapolis, Laodicea, Colossae, and um, uh, and so on, and uh, a lot of that area today consists of, uh, of uh, Turkey and a uh, uh, major part of Europe. But anyway, anyway, we, we read here that uh, they were living as foreigners in, in these various provinces, the, the names were used in, in, as you see them there in the Bible in, in that particular day, but um, why were God's chosen people scattered like that? How come? And the answer is this. The answer is Christians scattered throughout the world, unfortunately, as a result of persecution against the believers. The Christians were severely persecuted. At some point in time, the Roman government began, the Roman government began to uh, say to everyone things like, okay, everyone, everyone must say, Caesar is Lord. Everyone must bow down to Caesar. Everyone must bow down to the emperor. Some of the Roman emperors wanted and insisted uh, to be looked upon as a god. It's just the way it was. A lot of the non-Christian people had no problem. They had no problem saying Caesar is Lord because they worshipped many gods. Where there are many gods, there's always room for one more. For a lot of the non-Christian people, it was no big deal. It was relatively simple for them to just add Caesar as another god to them. Christians, however, did not have that option. They were committed, Christians were committed to the worship of one God manifest as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A Christian who said, Jesus is Lord, could not in all good conscience say, Caesar is Lord. They took their Christianity seriously. They were fervent about their faith. And so they, they would not say Caesar is Lord, although that's what the emperor wanted all who lived there to say. Some of the Roman emperors were determined essentially to exterminate a religion which would not accept the divinity of the Roman emperor. Cindy, do you remember studying that in one of your history classes? Thank you. Another reason, another re reason why Christians in the first century were persecuted 
was because there was a major fire in Rome. How many of you, by the way, have been to Rome on some kind of a trip? How many of you? Let me see. Yeah, quite a few of you, quite a few of you. All right. So there was a major fire in Rome in July of 64. Rome, at that time, a city of narrow streets, and depending where you go in Rome even today, you would find it to be a city with narrow streets as well. But Rome, a city of narrow streets and, and high wooden buildings in that first century, was in real danger of being wiped out from the fire. The fire burned for three days and three nights, was almost stopped, almost stopped, and then the fire broke out again and was worse. And much of the city burned down. Stick with me now and you'll, you'll, you'll see the point. A lot of the people in Rome blamed Emperor Nero for the fire. The, the average people and the educated people blamed Nero. In fact, they were convinced Nero, uh, Nero was behind this massive fire. Why? Nero had a passion for building, and many people felt Nero was trying to burn down much of Rome so he could rebuild and make Rome fancier and more beautiful. It was freely said that those who tried to ex extinguish the fire were deliberately hindered by Nero's men. I was reading in Dr. William Barclay's uh, little commentary where he says this. He says, the resentment of the people was bitter, the people in Rome. The resentment of the people was bitter. Nero had to divert suspicion from himself a scapegoat had to be found. The Christians were made the scapegoat. A savage outbreak of persecution occurred. Christians persisted, or rather Christians perished in the most sadistic ways. Terrible. Wasn't sure, wasn't sure whether to tell you some of these details, but I'm, I'm going to tell you them. Um, so you can have an understanding of how serious this was. Nero, Emperor Nero, went to the extent of giving orders, giving orders for Christians to be rolled in pitch and set light to them and use them as living torches to light his gardens at night. That's how terrible things were. He sowed, he had his people sew Christians up in the skins of wild animals and then set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them limb from dim, limb while they still lived. This is how crazy this man was, this emperor. How do we know this? We know it because the first century historian Tacitus or Tacitus T-A-C-I-T-U-S, who lived from 56 to 120 A.D., recorded many of the terrible ways in which Christians were persecuted. It was serious. It wasn't just a little inconvenient 
this or that for Christians. It was serious persecution. And so that, that's why Christians fled to many different places to, to save their children and themselves. And if you were to read Acts 8, verses 1 to 4, there it tells a little bit about the persecution and how Christians scattered throughout the Roman world, wherever they could go. The one good thing, the one good thing that came from the persecution was this. Persecution didn't stop the spread of the good news of Jesus. Instead, persecution served as a way to introduce the gospel to the whole Roman Empire, which, which Nero was trying to prevent. Are you with me on that? My friends, sadly... There are some parts of the world where even today Christians are being mistreated as badly as they were in Nero's day. There are a few of you here, there are a few of you here that could give the details, sadly. You could give the details very, very quickly. Uh, just for your interest, over two years ago, we as a church started to try to try to rescue a Christian family of four from overseas that was being severely persecuted simply because they were Christians. No other reason. They did nothing wrong, nothing wrong. And tragically, tragically, the father ended up losing his life probably because of the beatings he received. I want to ask you to pray for that family as we continue to wrestle with immigration matters to, to save their lives, to bring them to our country. My friends, there were highly committed Christians in Peter's day. There are highly committed Christians in different parts of the world today. The good news also is there are highly committed Christians here at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene. Praise God. Thank you to those of you who show a high level of commitment to Jesus. You show it in different ways through volunteering your time, talents, energies. Some of you show it through faithfully carrying out your, your ministry week after week, month after month, year after year. A lot of you show it through giving tithes, giving to the World Evangelism Fund, World Missions, giving to our mortgage fund, we have been in our church building here now for 15 years. Last Sunday marked 15 years. And, listen to this, and we have never missed a single mortgage payment. Praise God. Praise God. And that's because, that's because many of you, including my wife and I and the other pastors, have faithfully made mortgage fund pledges 
and have carried them out. And I want, I want to say, as the senior pastor here, I want to say thank you. And as we look ahead on the first Sunday of November, which will mark our 39th church anniversary, thank you for making a pledge towards our mortgage fund for this coming year. For this, when I say coming year, I'm saying basically October to the end of September of next year. How good it is to know that there are faithful and committed people in this present day and age. And as I think of, of commitment, I simply want to ask you, have you, have you made your personal, have you made your personal commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ? Have you said, Lord, you have chosen me. You've chosen me. You want me to be, be and become a part of the everlasting family of God. And now it's your turn to say, I choose you. I choose you, Lord. I choose you. And I dedicate myself to you. Here we are, my friends. Three powerful principles from Peter. You and I can put behind us our failures, mistakes, and sins and become the very best person we can be through the Lord's power. Let's each one of us allow the Lord to make that happen. Secondly, you and I are messengers of Jesus Christ. We're messengers. Let's live as messengers of Jesus and rejoice because you and I have been chosen by God. Choose him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for these powerful principles from Peter. Thank you, Lord, for these beautiful truths, truths of encouragement, but also truths that challenge us to live out and practice these truths for your honor and your glory and as, as followers of Jesus. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.